You've worked hard for your savings. It's time your savings starts working harder for you. With Millibank, you can do just that. When you open a savings account or JARS, you'll earn Millie's highly competitive annual percentage yield. But that's not all. Millie believes banking shouldn't cost you a thing. That's why Millie offers complete peace of mind with no fees, no minimums, and is member FDIC insured. It's all part of Millie's mission to help you save more for the things that matter most. So why wait? Download the Millie Bank app today. Are you ready to start living richer? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Live Richer podcast, hosted by Jamie Catmull, a podcast created for people to challenge and manage their ideas of wealth, culture, and money across the world, bringing you the best personal finance advice to make more, save more, and live richer. Now, here's your host, Jamie Catmull. everyone and welcome to the Live Richer podcast. Today, I want to start off having you all imagine that you're going to purchase something. And when you swipe your card at the cash register, it says you've been declined. Your card will not work. You for sure you had money in there. So you call up credit card company, you say, hey, what's going on? I can't use my card. And they say, well, you're over your limit. And you're like, how is that possible? Through some investigation, you find out you've been, your identity has been stolen or, and your information has been stolen as far as your credit card goes. So what do you do? Where do you turn to? And how does this keep happening to so many people? How does our credit card information, when we have our credit card in our hand, somehow end up in the hands of somebody else and they're out there purchasing things without us even knowing it? It happens every day. And that is why I've brought on one of the biggest experts when it comes to cybersecurity over at Visa here today to talk to us about fraud and how we can protect ourselves from the ongoing battle that's going out there for people to steal our identity and to take our money. And that is Michael Chibara. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And I just want you to share with everybody who you are and what makes you such an expert over there at Visa. No, absolutely. So I lead our global services organization here at Visa, which essentially means that my team and I are responsible for identifying and mitigating large-scale fraud attacks and data breaches that happen across our entire ecosystem. Now, keep in mind, Visa processes about $15 trillion annually and across uh, 200 different countries. So we have a really good lens in terms of what fraud is happening where and why. And my team is there as a first and last line of defense to protect our clients from catastrophic fraud losses. Visa recently did a study, Michael, that showed all the different ways these criminals are going out there stealing our money (laughs) and our information. In that study, what were some of the things that you felt were the most shocking? I think the biggest shocking thing to me is how quickly the fraudsters have adopted some of the innovative technologies that we are seeing out there in the market. So I'm sure you and many of your listeners have used ChatGPT or some of these other models to create images, to create different documents. Well, the interesting thing is that we're seeing fraudsters do something similar 
with their version of ChatGPT, uh, which one of which is actually called FraudGPT. Very great branding. It tells you exactly what that model is supposed to do. And they're creating a lot more sophisticated attacks to target these unknowing consumers in ways that they weren't able to before. One of the things it spoke about is how they're creating fake merchants where people are giving their information, right? And you think you're buying it from this legitimate merchant and to only find out it's fake. Then they're also tricking merchants as well, they said, pretending to be people when they're not. And then, oh, there's the, what was the other big scam? Giveaways were scams. Tell me some more. What were some ones that you maybe found were more mastermind, criminal masterminds out there getting our information and stealing it and that we need to really be aware of? I mean, Visa is doing a really great job when it comes to that. And I just wanted to know, what do you feel is probably one of the most surprising ways that these guys have started out stealing people's information? Yeah. Well, I think one of the most consistently impressive things about fraudsters and cyber criminals is the fact that they have a really good pulse on what is popular uh, in, the, in the overall dialogue, right? So... Uh, when uh, everybody was really after Taylor Swift tickets, they've started to build up all these scams about how you can get exclusive tickets or backstage passes or one-day parking passes to her concerts. And that generated a lot of interest, a lot of activity, and unfortunately, a lot of fraudulent payments that were made to these organizations that, of course, didn't have any of those uh, goods. Uh, now we're moving into the fall session. You've got folks who are going back to college campus. And so we're seeing... a an increase in the number of fraudulent listings for rooms and apartments in the hopes that you have these unsuspecting you know, freshmen and sophomores who will uh, fork over a deposit over a wire transfer service that they're never going to see again. Uh, we're seeing kind of a, a resumption of the uh, student loans. So now you've seen a lot of pop-up scams about, hey, contact us and we will help you kind of manage your debt burden moving forward when, of course, that, that is not going to be the case. So it's kind of this really interesting way where they pick up on what is trending and then they use that to make their schemes more relevant and kind of trick people into clicking or providing information or money that they shouldn't be. So how do you find these guys? I mean, how do people know that they're fake? And then how do people like Visa go out there and stop these guys in their tracks? What we do is we actually have a dedicated team of intelligence analysts whose job is to actually infiltrate the froster circles. So they're monitoring the dark web for different schemes, different keywords that are popping up and seeing kind of what is the latest and greatest from, from a broad innovation perspective so that we can build intelligence, we can build awareness, and we can share that information with our customers and our ecosystem partners so that they protect themselves accordingly. And then we also take that information and build specific alerting across our entire network. So when we start to see certain transactions that fit the pattern of the fraud scheme that was discussed in the dark web, it alerts us, we investigate it, and a lot of times we actually put a stop to it before it impacts the cardholder themselves. So you know, over the last six months alone, we proactively blocked about $30 billion of attempted fraud before you as a cardholder even knew it was happening. $30 million. Billion. 
billion, thirty billion. Oh yeah, yeah. No. Oh no. my If we only prevented thirty million in fraud over the last six months, <laughs> you'd be talking to another expert, not me. <laughs> so. <laughs> They'd be like, "Sorry, dude, you got to get a new job." No, no, that's, that's, no, no. It's, it's with a B. Thirty billion. Thirty billion. I mean, this is a major business. I guess I'm kind of naive. I didn't realize that so much fraud is happening around me, and especially probably online. I think it said fifty eight percent. A fraud happens online. Is that was that right? It's a huge majority of the people getting their identity, their credit card information stolen and scammed are online. That's correct. And if you think about it, there's two reasons for that. So one is historically we have seen people uh, target in-store shopping experiences, and we've dedicated a lot of technology and security investments on that side to make it really secure. So if you look at your card, there's a chip on it. And the reason that we've put a chip on there is because uh, in years past, people can just look at the, your card number, they can then generate uh, their version of it and then go, it's you know open season on your bank account. But now they can't do that because they can't replicate that chip. That chip gives you a dynamic value that can't be faked. And so, if you're in person, that, you know, that stolen data is, is useless to you as a froster. The second reason is a lot of our you know, shopping, a lot of our interactions have been moving digitally, uh, especially because of the, the pandemic. So that's where the money is is now being channeled. So that's where the attention on the fraud side is moving. And the, the combination of the fact that we're able to secure one channel, fraudsters are going to go to the path of least resistance. They're going to move it to this other channel where it's still uh, a little bit less mature from a security perspective because... I don't see who's shopping. All I'm seeing is a packet of data and that data could potentially be manipulated in the wrong set of hands. It seems it's really scary. So is there anything we can do when we're out there shopping online or doing things online that we should be looking for or to know if something is a secure place to actually purchase? Yeah. Well, I think it's really about, and whenever I say this, uh, I feel a little bit bad about saying it, but you kind of have to spend the extra effort to trust but verify the merchants, the people on the other side of this digital transaction to make sure that they're legitimate. And this could be things like looking at the URLs of the places that you're shopping. More often than not, they're going to start with HTTPS. That S is really important because it denotes this is a secure connection. Uh, so less likely to be a spoofed merchant website and less likely for your information to be filtered out to somewhere malicious. You want to be doing your research on these vendors online with the Better Business Bureau or with uh, any other kind of review marketplace and make sure that they have a track record of actually delivering on the goods and services that you're purchasing. And then you want to take advantage of the security controls and tools that you have access to. Uh, I have the ability to get transaction alerts every time any of my accounts is used so that if I don't recognize that activity, I'm the first to know. I call my bank and I shut it down. So it, it's really around having that security mindset ingrained in your day-to-day -day activity because, as I mentioned, processors are always going to be looking for the path of resistance and you don't want to be in that path. And if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably not true. Like you said, the Taylor Swift tickets or this great apartment or different things like that. But also just it's really good to have those alerts on your phone. You know, I think that's the way that I've found so many... Um, Mine actually gets stolen a lot. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going. 
to keep getting my identification and my credit card information stolen. But it happens. You and I spot them all the time when someone goes to Jack in the Box and spends $75. You know that wasn't you, but it wasn't me. So <laughs> those things happen all the time. And I knew another thing, you know, you spoke of AI and we speak about the bad things that ChatGPT can do. What are some of the good things that AI can do to maybe stop fraud? Yeah. And I know Visa uses it. Oh, absolutely. And so you don't kind of handle almost $15 trillion of payment volume and analyze where the potential fraudulent transactions are coming from if you don't invest in AI, ML, and these other next-gen technologies because the volume of the data that we deal with is just so massive. And that's a big part of the reason why over the last five years, we've invested $10 billion in our cyber and fraud infrastructure to allow us to continue to keep pace and stay ahead of these fraudsters, but also leverage all the power of the data that comes across our network for these types of purposes. So one example, to me, I think uh, card payments is just kind of this magical thing because you do it, you don't really think about it and it just kind of works. But if you take back the layers and, and kind of map that journey, it's quite incredible what happens. So every transaction that is made on a, uh, a Visa card, we take 500 different data elements about that transaction and we assess them to determine whether that transaction is risky or not risky. And then we provide that information back to the bank so that they can make their own decision. And we do that in milliseconds and we do that hundreds of billions of times a year. So if, if you can think about $15 trillion in uh, in total payment volume, the amount of fraud that we have is pennies to the dollar, despite kind of all these challenges that we've been talking about. The reason why we're able to achieve such outcomes is because of the investments that we've made in that AI ML technology stack. Who are these fraudsters? Who are these guys that are so tech savvy that they're able to start a new campaign so quickly? I mean, you would have to be very educated when it comes to programming and all these different things out there in order to con so many people and to even try to be con Visa, who's putting, what, $10 billion a year to try to stop them. So, I mean, who are they? Yeah. Uh, Well, you may be surprised to hear that actually you don't really need to be that sophisticated or that technically savvy to be a fraudster. I know. It's uh, it's kind of uh, (laughs) a very interesting landscape that we deal with. If you look at the spectrum of fraud groups that we deal with, there is potentially just individual actors who don't actually have the infrastructure or the resources, but what they'll do is they'll hire a service. So there's, for instance, ransomware as a service where you can go and contract with an entity that'll give you the scripts, it'll give you the tutorials, it'll give you the know-how necessary for you to engage in your own campaign. And there's potentially a revenue share agreement that you do with them or it's a flat fee. You can kind of negotiate that on these dark web marketplaces and it's usually facilitated through crypto transfers. So, I just, I just so I understand this. So, there's like a criminal network where I could basically go on the dark web and I could be like, I want to go get the ransomware and I want to do all this. And there's people that I can just do deals with. That's correct. Oh, yes. No, there, and it's actually a very established marketplace where you have uh, seller reviews. They're rated uh, just like Amazon in terms of the level of quality and the level of service that they have provided. Mm-hmm. And you can contract with one that is known to be dependable. What's also really interesting is that the providers of these services are also quite professional. So you'll go on some of their uh, sites 
And they'll say, we will provide you with ransomware services, but we won't provide them to you if you're going to target hospitals or if you're going to target critical infrastructure. And the reason for that is because that's too risky for them. They don't want to bring that media and that government attention if they're going after these high, type, high visibility targets. So it's a very professionally run business on that side as well. So interesting. It like makes me think um, I have a little boy and he was watching Despicable Me and he goes to a criminal bank place, right? And I'm like, there is a criminal network going on and there's places where people go and they're doing deals and doing business. You know, that's, that's actually really scary to think that happens. And I know now because of the internet, it's a worldwide, it's a world business. They could be anywhere in the world. It's just not, you're just not focusing visas everywhere you are. So, I mean, it's just, not just the United States. We're looking at every country and you guys are fighting him all over. Yes. No, that, that's absolutely correct. And so, I mean, I think that's, that's just kind of one segment of these threat actors that we deal with, which are kind of individuals who uh, they could do this as a potential hobby. They could do it as a side hustle. This could be their full-time job. But again, not necessarily something that they have the subject matter expertise or the technical know-how. Then you move a little bit further across the spectrum, and then you actually have well-funded, well-organized uh, criminal organizations that you know, do this as a business. They have targets, they have uh, return on investment metrics that they have to hit, uh, and they are international. Where you know they're they're going to obtain the credentials in a Latin American country, and they're going to come to the U.S. and they're going to monetize those credentials in the U.S. and they're going to bring the money back into their home base. Yeah, you kind of an increasing level of sophistication there. And then kind of on the farthest end of the spectrum, you have organizations that are funded by nation states. And so there are adversarial nation states that exist where a core part of how they fund their operations uh, is through cybercrime. Uh, so you kind of think about the US government and you know, we, we fund our operations through taxes and through debt and things like that. Well, these countries, that, that's how their bottom line is funded is through ransomware, through cash outs. And so you can imagine, again, the level of sophistication, the level of organization that these groups would have. So what do you do when you catch them? Do they get um, prosecuted? I mean, what is there no recourse? <laughs> no. So we work really closely with law enforcement intelligence agencies globally. So over the last 12 months, you know, we've blocked 30 billion and potential fraud, yeah. but we've also helped uh, facilitate the arrest, prosecution, and or sentencing of over 200 cyber criminals globally uh, who had attempted to defraud a visa customer somehow. So it's really through the public partners, public-private partnerships that we have that we can look to disrupt and dismantle some of this infrastructure that these threat actors are using. Yeah, because I, you know, going back way back when, like, I would think when everyone. When they came after Target, I think it was Target was one of the, like one of the bigger name packs. Yeah. I never heard who did that. I never heard if they were prosecuted. That's why I was, I mean, did they, did they, yeah. do you know if they did? Did they find the person? They did. They did. They were prosecuted. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I always wondered. Cause you never kind of hear, you always hear about it happening all the time, but you never know like, oh, they're yeah. just still out there. So it, it will, I will say depend where a lot of times we will, be, we will be able to do what's called threat actor attribution. We'll identify who actually was behind this attack or data breach. And if we can kind of bring them to justice, we'll work really closely with the relevant authorities to do so. But a lot of times, there are locations where there is no extradition treaty with the US. Uh, they're the, kind of the, the home country where these people are housed. 
uh, don't really subscribe to international laws on cybercrime. So it's uh, it's a challenge, and so we have to kind of come at it from multiple ways. But there, there are absolutely consequences and repercussions for these individuals. Yeah, especially if they're the ones funding the country, right? They're yeah, probably, so that, not, they're probably not going to be working with you to arrest them if that's how the country's making money. That might be a little difficult. Knowing this makes me a little bit more weary of what I'm going to be doing online and pay closer attention to it. I did say that fraud was down, but it doesn't mean that they're not out there trying. It's just you guys are catching them more. Is that the deal? I just want to make sure. Yeah. Uh, so overall, yeah, you know, we're you know the fraud rate is is uh, trending in a positive direction. But the other thing that I like to talk about is you and I as consumers, we don't experience fraud as a rate. That we don't experience it on average. We experience it as this has happened to us and it is impacting our lives in a tangible way, or it has not happened to us. It's the same way where if you go to McDonald's and you wait twenty minutes for your food, you're going to be pretty upset, regardless of whether the average wait. At that McDonald's happens to be two minutes or five minutes or whatever this may be. So that's why it's always for us. It's not just about kind of looking at overall trends. Mm-hmm. I think that's it's important, but really it's like how do we reduce the amount of these incidents that have a really negative impact on our ecosystem overall? A lot of people don't pay attention to it until it happens to them. That was one key point you said. Either you've been victimized or you haven't. And when you have been victimized, you don't care how many people have been victimized, it's affecting you personally. And it that means something, right? Exactly. And I always ask all of my guests this one question, and that is, what does living richer mean to you? What comes first to your mind? For me, it's about building connections and having these enriching experiences where you're able to kind of broaden your horizon beyond just what you're doing on a day in and day out basis. Um, I think the end of the role that I'm in is really quite interesting because it's very dynamic and how we deal with cyber and fraud in a place like Brazil is very different from how we deal with it in a place like the Emirates, for instance. And so kind of continuing to expand that lens, looking at that diverse set of experiences that you can bring into your day-to-day activities. That's what living richer means to me. And I agree with you 100%. Excellent. I love that, Michael. And I think all of you should take Michael's advice on what he said on how to live richer and his advice when it comes to purchasing things online and watching what's going on in your account. And also know that Visa, it sounds like, is out there helping all of us live a richer life so that when we are on that vacation and we swipe our card, it doesn't say declined and we have no way to buy anything <laughs> or even get out for that matter, right? That would be, it's, it's a scary thought. People don't realize that how fast everything can change if you can't do a transaction and you no longer can use your card or any of your cards for that matter. And we appreciate everything you're doing, Michael. It means a lot to all of us that you're out there fighting crime. I, I, I didn't even know that you're like a cyber cop type guy. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm going to use that on my business cards moving forward. You should. Again, thanks everyone for listening. And I want to remind you all to live richer. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you go, we'd love for you to subscribe to our show to catch all of our updates. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your burning questions about money and how to live your best life? Reach us at livericherpod at gobankingrates.com. You've worked hard for your savings. 
it's time your savings starts working harder for you. With Millibank, you can do just that. When you open a savings account or JARS, you'll earn Millie's highly competitive annual percentage yield. But that's not all. Millie believes banking shouldn't cost you a thing. That's why Millie offers complete peace of mind with no fees, no minimums, and is member FDIC insured. It's all part of Millie's mission to help you save more for the things that matter most. So why wait? Download the Millie Bank app today.